Today on the Tove Podcast, I have the privilege of welcoming one of my life mentors, Executive Director Emeritus Wes Tabor. Wes now serves as the Global Ambassador for Life and Messiah International. He seeks to bring God glory by teaching in churches, schools, and for the perspectives on world Christian movement. He also advocates for Life and Messiah and cheers on our staff around the globe. Wes has lived and breathed Life and Messiah for most of his life, serving under his father-in-law's leadership, then succeeding him in the role of executive director. When Wes isn't traveling, speaking, or in the office, he likes to ride his motorcycle, watch the Bears and the Cubs, and play with his nine grandchildren. One day soon, Wes hopes to write a book sharing the many God-at-work stories from over four decades of ministry. I'm confident you'll glean a lot from today's conversation on the Tove Podcast. You are listening to the Tove Podcast. Well, Wes, welcome to the Tove Podcast. Thanks. Uh, it's great to have you on, and I'm just wondering if you can briefly share with us where you're from and how you got acquainted with Jewish ministry. Well, briefly is a challenge for me, as always, Levi. So I'm a preacher's kid from New England, and uh, we had a lot of missionaries in our home when I was growing up. I always thought missionaries were really cool people. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I found out there was such a thing as a missionary pilot, I thought, boy, that would be really awesome. You could be a pilot and a missionary. Mm-hmm. Uh, but by the time I was in, well, high school for sure, I was much more about what do I want out of life more than what does God want for my life. And so dreams of vocational ministry really moved to the background. But when I was in college, really my junior year, I would say I got serious about uh, what does God want for my life. Mm. And I dedicated my life to the Lord uh, my junior summer, somewhere between my junior and senior years. And told the Lord, basically, whatever you want, I'll go wherever you want me to go and do whatever you want me to do. But I didn't have any particular sense of calling to to missions at that point. Mm -hmm. My dad was a pastor. His only brother was a pastor. His only sister married a pastor. And my mom's only sister married a pastor. Wow. It was kind of the family business, I guess. But I never felt a call to to pastoral ministry. And so it was really in the background. And in the summer times, I was working... uh, selling books door-to-door with the Southwestern Company and was really on track to be a manager with them. But my fourth summer, I'd already graduated from Houghton College in May of 75. That summer, the Lord really impressed on my heart that this was not what he was uh, wanting for my life. Mm. And so I really surrendered to whatever God's will was. And in talking to a fellow named David Curry, um, I said, I know I don't want to to do this, uh, but I think the Lord is calling me to ministry. Mm. And he said, well, why don't you come with me? He said, I'm going to what was then American Messianic Fellowship to be the director of training. And I said, David, I don't know anything about Jewish ministry. And he said, well, we'll train you. And part of the training was at Moody Bible Institute. And of course, I'd heard of Moody. Mm -hmm. And my thought process was, well, I will apply. I'm not sure I'll get accepted. But if I am accepted by AMF, then uh, at least I'll get started. And if the Jewish ministry thing doesn't work out, then at least I'll I'll have a start and some further training in ministry. Yeah, you're prepared for something that way. Exactly. So I wrote a letter to the fellow who would then, uh, I would come to know as my father-in-law, <laughs> Bill Curry, 
And I said, I don't know if you could use anybody like me, but he sent an application and I filled it out. And in November of 1975, I drove to Chicago for the first time and uh, stayed at the old AMF headquarters building at 7448 North Damon Avenue. Wow. So here you are, you're moving halfway across the country from Mm -hmm. Massachusetts to work with an organization, uh, Life in Messiah, as it's now known. Right. That... The primary concern of Life in Messiah is, of course, sharing the gospel with the Jewish people. And what did you know about the Jewish people at that time? Well, I tell people the only reason I knew the difference between a Yamaha and a Yamaka was I had a Yamaha. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't quite that bad. Um, I had a couple of Jewish fellow students in my high school, and actually a couple of my favorite teachers were, were Jewish. So I knew a little bit about Jewish culture, but you know, when I started reading the Bible from a Jewish perspective, it really opened up the Word of God to me in new ways. So I was an eager student at Moody. I took all the Jewish studies courses with Dr. Goldberg, and Michael Radelnik, who is now the head of Jewish studies, was a fellow classmate. You, I want to back up just a second, because you mentioned beginning to read the Bible in a Jewish context, and that's something we talk about quite a bit here on the Tove podcast. A lot of our listeners may not have even heard that phrase before. Sure. What does it mean to read the Bible in a Jewish context, and why should I do that if I'm not Jewish? Sure. Now, as I began to understand that there's a thread that runs throughout Scripture, uh, in fact, there are several threads. There's a golden thread, which is the, the glory of God thread, which is the primary thread. But in telling the story, there's a red thread, which is the redemption thread, and that begins all the way back with the Garden of Eden and the promise of, of God to Eve of one who would come, who would crush Satan's head, mm. the proto-euangelion, as we say, the first mention of a Messianic prophecy in Genesis 3.15. But then there's the blue thread, which is the Jewish thread, and that's the storyline that gets traced throughout Scripture, starting in Genesis 12 where God calls Abram and tells him, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Mm. And so when you start to see the foundation of how God is weaving this story, beginning in Genesis 12, everything up to Genesis 12.1 is introduction, the creation, the fall of man, the flood, the creation of nations, the introduction in Genesis 11 of of Terah, Nahor, Abraham, Mm -hmm. Sarah and Lot are mentioned there. And then all of a sudden in Genesis 12 is uh, where God really intervenes in human history in a direct way. In fact, it's oftentimes said that in Genesis chapter 12, uh, God planted his flag with Israel and the world has never forgiven him. (laughs) It's uh, an unfortunate reality. Well, as you know, um, Wes, the world's going through some turbulent times right now. Absolutely. And I'm not sure if you'd consider these unprecedented. You've got more life experience than I do. I know that you've seen a lot of changes in the world um, in your life. But these are turbulent times. And uh, there's a lot of folks, not only here in the United States, but around the world that are experiencing hardships on a very personal level. Uh, We think especially of those who've lost their jobs uh, due to this pandemic that really the world is experiencing. Sure. We think of those who've recently lost, lost loved ones due to COVID-19 or uh, some other cause. And of course, we think of the hurt and the deep pain that our minority communities here in the U.S. 
are currently experiencing. And an oft-repeated phrase at Life and Messiah is that God designs what we go through, but we decide how we go through it. I wondered if you could expand on that for us. Does that come from a particular passage? And uh, what does that look like uh, as life plays out, and especially during difficult times like we're living in right now? Well, these are difficult times, and the word unprecedented is heard a lot. Uh, We've certainly gone through times of of sickness, and people reference the uh, Spanish flu back in 1918, but I wasn't around for that one. I was around in the 60s when we had the civil unrest and problems in Chicago like what we're seeing today. But this particular phrase, God designs what we go through, we decide how we'll go through it, actually came uh, through a lady who's a donor to Life of Messiah. Hmm. That was how she signed on the bottom of a letter that she sent to Lori. And Lori showed me the letter, and that phrase just really struck me. In fact, it struck me so strongly that I made it my screensaver. You know how (laughs) the computer goes to sleep, you can have text scrolling across. Mm -hmm. So that's how it really got embedded in my brain. But the text that I would use to draw out the truth of that is really from Deuteronomy 8. So let me just read a couple of verses, and I'll just give you the outline, because this is a sermon that'll preach for hours. But, <laughs> um, you know, Moses is 120 years old, and he's really giving a series of farewell addresses to the Jewish people, because he knows he's not going to get to cross over the Jordan into mm-hmm. Canaan. Mm-hmm. So as a wise leader, he's giving marching orders to the people who he's not going to be able to lead any further. And so he has them take a look in their rearview mirror. He says, All the commandments that I am commanding you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. Now this is the second generation, right? This is after the first generation, the Exodus generation has passed away. They've been wandering for 40 years. They're on the banks of the Jordan getting ready to go across. And Moses says, You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years. You stop and think about that. 40 years, that's a, that's a long time. It's a long time, yep. So the God who could do anything, why did he delay 40 years in bringing his people? Well, in the Exodus story, we know that he didn't bring them immediately from Egypt into the land because they weren't warriors and they weren't ready Mm. to face um, the Canaanites and the inhabitants of the land. But the reason that they delayed for 40 years was because of Israel's disobedience, their disbelief and disobedience. And so Moses is saying to the second generation, remember all the way in the wilderness that the Lord has led you for these 40 years. It's not that God put them on probation and said, I'll see you in 40 years. Mm. He was with them for for those 40 years. Mm, Good point, yeah. And then he gives us what I call God's lesson plan for life. God is purposeful in all that he does, and his purposes are always good, even when our circumstances are not. Mm. So I don't know anybody who would sign up for 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. (laughs) I mean, people like to camp in the wilderness, um, some more than others. Yeah. Uh, But just in case we're not sure what the wilderness is like, he actually describes the wilderness a little bit further down. In verse 15, he said, He led you through the great and terrible wilderness Mm. with its fiery serpents, its scorpions, and thirsty ground where there was no water. So God brought them to a place of deprivation. A desert is defined by what is not there. Mm. You don't have supplies of food and you don't have water. 
Well, what you do have is some dangerous stuff. You've got snakes and scorpions. You've got sand and sun, right? No shelter. Right. And in that place, God led you. And he said for three reasons. First, num number one from verse two, that he might humble you. And then verse three says, he humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that a man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. So God knew that there was no manna in the wilderness, no food in the wilderness. Originally, if you remember in the Exodus story, Levi, they asked Pharaoh for three days leave to go on a worship yeah, outing, right? right? Well, you can provision a people for, for three days in the wilderness. Yeah. But how are you going to feed what we understand to be millions of people? How are you going to do that? Yeah. Well, God let them be hungry and fed them with manna, which nobody else knew. Only two generations of people on earth have been fed from heaven hmm. by manna. Yeah, interesting. So he humbled you and let you be hungry. Well, God takes us places we wouldn't choose to go to teach us lessons we wouldn't sign up for. That's why it's good to remember that God designs what we go through. Hmm. We decide how we'll go through it. So God designed an outing in a wilderness where there was no water, so he could provide them with water. Where there was no food, so he could provide them with food. Mm. They didn't have GPS, so he provided a pillar of cloud and fire to lead them. So God's purpose was that, first of all, that he might humble you. And why is humility number one on God's list? Mm. You and I have had conversations about the importance of humility. We talk a lot about humility, faith, and obedience at Life of Messiah. Indeed. And it comes exactly from passages like this. Why does God have to take us places to teach us humility? It's because we don't value humility. I don't know too many people who wake up in the morning and say, Oh, Lord, please humble me today. Mm. It's contrary to our human nature. It's not what we desire. We desire position. We desire reputation. We desire power. Um, and none of those things are from humility. So God talks in the scriptures about the importance of humility, that he exalts those who are humble and he humbles those who want to be proud. Hmm. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Messiah Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something that he needed to hang on to, mm -hmm. but he willingly humbled himself. And we will never understand that kind of humility, that the creator of the universe, the eternal one, humbles himself, takes on human form, and then becomes a servant, and then even dies a death on a cross. Yeah, yeah. But Paul says, let this mind be in, in you. So we ought to look at our circumstances, including what we're going through today. Hmm. So COVID-19, uh, nobody signed up for COVID-19. Right. right. Nobody asked for a plague. And what's going on right now with the response to what happened in, in Minneapolis? I mean, it's a terrible tragedy. When George Floyd was killed and that was captured on TV, I think the hearts of not just Americans, but anybody who's seen it is crushed to see a life snuffed out in front of us. Mm -hmm. We don't get to choose our circumstances, but we get to choose our response. So one of the things that I'm looking for in my own heart is, Lord, what is it that you want? It's easy for me to wake up in the morning and say, what is it that I have to do? What's mm -hmm. on my to-do list? That's mm -hmm. a very human thing to do. It's also very human to say, Lord, what is it that I want? What do I want today? 
But I try to learn the lesson of, before my feet hit the floor, say, Lord, what is it that you want today? How can I glorify you today? That gets us to number two, that he might humble you is number one. This is still from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. Mm-hmm. Testing you to know what was in your heart, mm. whether you would keep his commandments or not. So it's in my heart anyway, but it's in the testing times that what's in my heart comes out. Comes out. Yeah. You've heard the expression of what comes out when you squeeze a sponge. Mm-hmm. Whatever's in the sponge is what comes out. Yep. So it's in the times of testing. It's in the wilderness times. It's yeah. in times of COVID-19. It's in times of racial unrest. It's a time when injustice is a concern, right? How do I respond? Yep. Well, when I get squeezed, what's in me is what comes out. Yeah. And I've often uh, made mention to folks during this time that I I get the sense that this period uh, that we're living in is could be called the great squeeze. Mm. Because whether you're sitting at home and you haven't been able to see family and friends for a long time, or whether you're sick, uh, or whether you are fed up with injustice, it feels like a squeeze. Right. And and I think we're we're seeing um, what's coming out of people a lot of times because there's a lot of pressure right now. But the pressure didn't put anything in people, like mm-hmm. you're saying. It's just what was already there is now coming out. Uh, so, for instance, with you know the. Um, all the disgruntled folks and the angry and the frustration uh, at the death of George Floyd, all of these frustrations were, were sitting there, right? They were, the, it wasn't as if George Floyd happened and then boom, all this came about. That was there for years and years and years. Uh, exactly right. Yeah. Exactly right. And so when people say, well, I don't understand how the death of one man caused such outrage. Well, the truth of the matter is it wasn't the death of one man. It was... One after another after another. Yeah. It's the compilation of things. Yeah. You know, when silver is refined, Levi, the silversmith puts the, the metal ore on, on a, in a crucible on heat. Mm-hmm. And as it starts to heat up, the dross, the impurities come to the surface. And I think we ought to look at our circumstances when life gets tough as part of God's refining process for us. So in my life, when things start to heat up and what starts to come out of me, I don't like. I tend to say to the Lord, Lord, I don't like what's happening here, so please turn the heat down. (laughs) Sure, yeah. And God says, well, I don't like what I see coming out of you, Wes. And so Mm. he turns the heat up. (laughs) I'm concerned about my comfort and he's concerned about my character. Mm. And so he turns the heat up because he wants to remove the dross. It's been there. It's now revealed because of the difficult circumstances to test you to prove what's in your heart. So when you get to the end of um, this little lesson, you get down to verse 16. And like a good, like a good teacher, Moses reiterates his first two points. He says, in the wilderness, he fed you with manna that your fathers did not know that he might humble you, point number one. Number two, that he might test you. And then number three, to do good for you in the end. Mm, And that is so key to keep that in mind. I love that, right? There's hope. There's a reason for why God is doing what he's doing. Um, I may not like my circumstances, but listen, it's always in the tough times of life that not only are we humbled and tested, but we have the greater opportunity to glorify God. When we respond under the control of the Holy Spirit, 
when we're squeezed and what comes out are the fruit of the Spirit, mm. people take notice and God gets glorified. So if we want to win an opportunity to witness, it's often in the tough times that people look and they say, well, I wouldn't have responded as graciously as you did. Um, how, can you, how can you love someone who mistreated you the way that they did? Hmm. I was struck by George Floyd's brother's statement the other day when he stood with a megaphone and said to the crowd, this is not what we want. This is not what my brother would have wanted. You know, the looting and the destruction, mm -hmm. uh, the anger, the hatred. He said, this is not what we would have wanted. I, I think George Floyd was a believer. And I uh, read an article in Christianity Today that said that he had Bible studies when he was living down south. Mm. So I'm, I'm sure George Floyd was not a perfect man. He wouldn't want himself held up as some kind of a hero uh, of the faith. But the truth of the matter is, when George Floyd's brother says, this is not what he wants, this is not what we want, it's certainly not what God wants mm. for me to, to become angry, to become bitter. Jesus is very clear about what we're to do with our enemies. We're to love our enemies. We're to forgive our enemies. Um, and yes, justice matters. And yes, Christians need to stand up for what's right. I don't think that it's, it's right for us to be silent in the face of injustice. Mm -hmm. But to be humble, um, to have the fruit of the Spirit demonstrated when we're squeezed, and to know that God's purpose is always good, even when my circumstances are not. Mm. That He wants to do good to us in the end. Because what He's doing is He's conforming us to the image of Messiah. And those impurities, those sinful thoughts, that, that pride that so easily wells up, mm -hmm. that sense of, well, you can't treat me that way. I, I have more value than what you're showing to me. It's a very human response. Yeah, yeah. Well, such wisdom... And uh, thank you for sharing that with us. And I just want to go over those two phrases again, because I think they're so memorable. Uh, one is, God takes us places that we wouldn't choose to go to teach us lessons we wouldn't choose to learn. That's right. We, we, we wouldn't sign up for. We wouldn't sign up for. Yeah. And man, I think that probably just strikes a chord with so many people out there that the, the hardest times are oftentimes the best times when it comes to being conformed more to the image of his son. Uh, and sometimes I think we make the situation even more difficult because we try to wiggle out of being refined because our flesh hurts when that happens. Sure. And when we do that, you know what happens? We get remedial wilderness. <laughs> and I hate remedial wilderness. I hate having to go back and learn the lesson that God's already tried to teach me. Mm, yeah, indeed. And then the other phrase uh, that we've talked about today is God designs what we go through and we decide how we go through it. And I think that that may be a new concept for some people because so much of the world's message is your circumstances dictate what you're to feel. Your circumstances dictate what you are to think. But the Bible never talks about it that way. And we have incredible examples in Scripture, like Joseph, who was in tremendously difficult circumstances. But he kept the goodness of God in mind. And he kept the reality in mind that although people may have meant things for evil, God was going to turn it around and he was going to make good out of it because that's just what God does. Because of COVID, you know, we can't get out so much. I've spent some time at the keyboard and... 
did a series of devotionals for the In Search of Shalom uh, blog. Hmm. So if folks want to go to InSearchOfShalom.com and look for Where is God in Fearful Times, hmm. uh, subtitled Encouragement from Exodus. We don't go through the whole book of Exodus, but we start from, Gen- from Exodus 1 and get through the Red Sea. And I believe there's maybe 30 lessons there. Wow. And it's uh, it's a good study of Scripture four times just like this. Four times just like this. Where is God in fearful times? Very good. And again, that is at InSearchOfShalom.com. You can find that devotional series uh, written, written by Wes here. And uh, perhaps we'll also include a link to that on the Tove Podcast Facebook page uh, so that you can find it there. Well, Wes, thanks for joining us today on the Tove Podcast. My privilege. Uh, It's been wonderful having you and uh, hearing your wisdom from not only your years of study in the Word, but your years of experience. Uh, And thank you for your leadership of Life and Messiah uh, over the many, many years and your continued role in Life and Messiah. Well, if you're listening right now, you've clearly found us. If you'd like to listen to previous episodes of the Tove Podcast or even future ones, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or at tovepodcast.com. Thanks for joining us today. Shalom. Since 1887, Life in Messiah has helped Christians understand the Jewish roots of our faith and God's ongoing commitment to His people. We teach that anti-Semitism is inconsistent with biblical faith and we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, which includes her spiritual renewal as well as physical safety. In all we do, our priority is to share the gospel message. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or at lifeinmessiah.org. That's lifeinmessiah.org.